Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I woke with the key to hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. Well, this morning to start off our sermon, let's go to New Orleans. I love New Orleans. Beautiful city. And is there a more New Orleans jazz standard than the song, When the Saints Go Marching In? You all know the song, right? When the Saints Go Marching In. And uh, it's funny because uh, you look it up online anyway, and uh, one of the funny things about the song is we have no idea who wrote it. We have no idea where it came from. Uh, just suddenly, uh, in about somewhere in the early 1900s, uh, this song started to be played and everyone said, hey, this is a fun song. Let's keep playing it. And we still, of course, hear it today. The official version held by the Library of Congress was from 1938. And that's uh, Louis Armstrong, right? He's got his trumpet going. You got the whole New Orleans jazz rocking. You know who else did it? It was Judy Garland. She did a fantastic cover of it. Bing Crosby did not have a good cover. You listen to his and it falls a little flat. But, um, you know, um, Bruce Springsteen covers it, but he, like, slows it down and makes it kind of boring. It's not my favorite version. In fact, my favorite version comes from the 1953 film The Five Pennies, and it has Louis Armstrong in it, but also has um, Danny Kaye, who was the, the, the guy from White Christmas, uh, the, the sort of second guy in White Christmas. Love Danny Kaye. And they have this fantastic version that you should just go home and YouTube um, when you're done at church today. It made me laugh out loud in a way I haven't laughed out loud in a while because it's very clever what they do. Um, and so that's when the saints go marching in. And, and a lot of people, they hear that song, um, they may not put together immediately uh, that that whole song is imagery from the book of Revelation. <laughs> It's imagery from this book of Revelation, right? The book of Revelation, this book of the Bible that's notorious for being complex and a little dense and and hard to get through and hard to understand. Um, It helps if you can put it to a catchy jazz tune. Anyway, um, the, the book of Revelation, of course, is this wild book. It's full of this apocalyptic imagery, Um, apocalyptic imagery, because what's happened is John has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he's trying to get the word out and warn these other churches in Asia Minor, in the region of what we now call Turkey, that persecution is coming, the government is out for them, be on the lookout and get ready. And to do that, of course, he employs this apocalyptic literature that's designed to make you um, sort of have a sense of awe and a sense of discomfort and maybe get you a little off kilter. It's designed to throw you off your game a little bit so that you have to pay attention. And so as John is describing what he sees from this vision of God, he's doing so in such a way as to get everyone's attention and say, listen, the stakes here are high. I need your attention or else this government persecution that's coming for you from the Roman Empire, um, you're not going to, to make it. And so John um, writes with all of this 
great revelation, apocalyptic literature. And um, it seems, again, very dense and heavy, but when you put it to a, a jazz tune, it makes more sense. Well, maybe not more sense, but you can access it a little more, right? Because there's, when the saints go marching in, how I long to be in the number when the saints go marching in, but then there's um, when the sun refused to shine, and when the, the horsemen begin to ride, and when the trumpets sound the call, and when the moon turns red like blood, these are all verses from uh, when the saints go marching in. Um, normally we don't sing those verses, but those are the original verses as far back as we can get them. And so in our reading today from Revelation 7, um, of all the crazy things that we see happening in the book of the Revelation, this one may make the most sense, because today... The saints go marching in. That's what's happening in the book of Revelation today. The saints are marching in. Uh, We have saints from every nation represented, right? Uh, We have saints, they're all speaking different languages. We have saints of every uh, biological skin color and every race and every people group and every citizenship and every culture. This is a, a merry band of folks who are entering the kingdom of heaven. And regardless of all of these differences, they do have a remarkable number of things in common, don't they? These saints marching in, they're all wearing white robes, robes that have been, as we'll see later, made white um, by the atoning work of Jesus. And they all have the same instrument of adoration, don't they? Um, It's Palm Sunday in our reading. They all have palm fronds, like back when they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, like Palm Sunday, they're giving Jesus the Palm Sunday treatment in our reading today. And maybe they're speaking in different languages, maybe this is a speaking in tongues moment, but even though they have all these differences, they all say the same thing. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all of heaven joins in their singing, including all of these wild characters that John has told us about, elders and four flying creatures and thousands and thousands and myriads of angels. Everyone is singing together, uh, praising God, saying salvation belongs to that God and to the Lamb. So what are these white-robed saints in different languages and skin colors? What, what are they um, speaking out? Um, what, are they, what are they doing there in heaven? John has a tour guide, and John's tour guide to heaven says to John, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I want to spend some time with you this morning on this word tribulation. Um, it's a bible word if there was ever a bible word. And I think if I can spend some time with you, um, going through it with you, you'll understand more about what this text means and why this actually means something for you as well. Um, this word um, has this connotation of a certain school of theology called dispensationalist theology. It's a theology that was a not, it doesn't go back far in the history of the church. We're looking at like 1830. Uh, and if you are familiar with the Left Behind fiction novel series that was very popular about, I guess, what, 20 years ago now? Um, this Left Behind series sort of made it very popular in the imagination and There's some things like there'll be a rapture and all of the Christians will disappear and there'll be seven years of really bad things that happen on the earth. And if you can make it through the seven years, then you're okay. But then Jesus is going to come back. And then like there's this whole very prescripted outline of what the end times will look like. That theology is not perfect, by the way. Um, There's a lot of problems with it. Uh, But this word tribulation is a big part of that series. And so you'll see um, a lot of people in more, um, I guess, Uh, fundamentalist backgrounds use this word 
tribulation and relate it to the end times. It's more complex than that, though. Um, I'm going to tell you that the Greek word for tribulation is this word thlipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, thlipsis. It's hard to say. And it's a word that does mean like trouble or affliction or burden. And uh, scholars note that this word has a connotation of pressure, of pressing in on, on someone, of being squeezed, this word tribulation. And so, um, like David Bowie and Freddie Mercury singing together, the person experiencing tribulation is under pressure. Great joke if you were from my generation. I apologize. Okay. The writers of the New Testament, friends, they, they focus on this word a lot, and they tend to focus on this word, um, and they use it deliberately in the Bible to talk about um, the troubles and the tribulations and the, the hard things of life that are so hard and so troublesome, they rock your faith. They threaten and shake your faith. They're a direct assault on the core of your faith. The ordinary troubles of life that you can kind of get through when you're like, oh, this is just an inconvenience, that's not a tribulation. But the things of life that are so hard and so complex that you're considering giving up the Holy Ghost, as it were, that you're considering leaving the Christian faith behind of just saying this whole world has no meaning and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I'm done with Jesus. Um, that's what a tribulation is. Um, that the word tribulation in scripture is not just a minor inconvenience. It's the pressures of life that rock your faith to its core. And that's what John sees coming for this, these churches in Turkey. He sees there's a pressure coming. And people are going to be very tempted to just walk away from Jesus and walk away from the Christian faith. Because the persecution is going to be very difficult. That's what John's experiencing at this very moment. He's in exile. He's been sent to the Greek island of Patmos. And he's living out in his older age on um, this sentence of exile. And the churches, if they're distracted, if they're dealing with squabbles, if they're dealing with favoritism and they're having conflicts over treating the wealthy better than others, if they're dealing with all these petty internal squabbles, well, when the tribulation comes, when the pressure comes, they're not going to be prepared for it. They're not going to be prepared. Sometimes the assault on the faith comes from this Jewish-led persecution of Christians. We see that in the early church. Sometimes the assault on the faith comes from the Roman government, who is very upset that the Christians do not worship Caesar and the uh, pagan pantheon of Rome. And sometimes tribulation comes as an attack from Satan. These are all things we see in Scripture. Um, and so anytime you find that your faith is tested by an attack from the enemies of God, that is a tribulation. And so in that sense, life can be its own tribulation. Um, some of you went years without funerals and then had back-to-back -back deaths in the family that seemed to knock the wind out of your sails. Some of you have adult children and you're absolutely heartbroken at the decisions they're making in life. Some of you are banging your head against the wall because every time you catch a financial break, you get a kitchen appliance that breaks or an unexpected medical bill. And some of you are in between jobs, and, the, and these jobs have made you so miserable that they make you question the goodness of God. Those are actually tribulations. When they rock your faith to the core in that powerful way, um, those can be tribulations. Um, the temptation in those moments of pain and frustration and powerlessness is to give up the ghost. Um, and when we suffer the consequences of the flipses in life, um, it's tempting to walk away and just be done with God and say, life is terrible and I just give up any hope. It's a real temptation. 
Um, maybe you've heard of Christians having uh, a deconstruction phase. That's a, a new hip thing that's been the case for some time. Um, these are moments that hit them so hard that they considered seriously, and some of them have actually abandoned their faith. One public example of this that I'll speak about today um, is a Christian writer, author named Joshua Harris. And at age 23, Joshua Harris wrote a book many of you may have heard of called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which was heavily influenced purity culture within the church and youth groups for about 20 years. I mean, a very popular book. And his thesis of the book was that dating culture was ungodly and secular, and that Christian teens and young adults need to recapture these old ideas of courtship um, to live holy lives in a secular world. To begin with, why do we let an unmarried 23-year-old guy publish a book about dating culture to begin with? Um, I think we set this young man up for failure from the very beginning. But after 20 years or so of this, a certain number of Gen X and millennial Christians They entered early adulthood and they got married. And they realized that much of what that book taught um, about human physical intimacy, about um, dating, about culture, it wasn't just wrong, it was kind of damaging. It was spiritually shameful, psychologically, they had a whole lot of hang-ups about their relationships into adulthood. And everything that Joshua Harris had written and published, it began to be called into question. And so after 20 years of being a go-to guy for how to teach your children about chastity and about to teach your children about how to enter into um, marriage relationships, um, people began to say that it wasn't so good and not so helpful. It wasn't just outdated. It was harmful and scarring. And letters and blog posts began surfacing on the internet showcasing how abusive parents and moralistic churches and power-tripping pastors had taken this material and used it in damaging ways, and that people no longer wanted to attend church because of how poorly this material was received in their teenage years. And on top of that, Joshua Harris was part of a church denomination where many of the pastors who had encouraged and supported Josh Harris and his work were revealed to be living double lives. While they preached about monogamy and chastity, they were secretly using and abusing the women in their congregation, silencing them when they tried to speak out and creating a culture of, well, terror for many of the people who served under them. And so in 2018, Josh Harris disavowed his book. He stopped its future publications. In 2019, he separated from his wife, announced on Instagram he was no longer a Christian. And you can now find Josh Harris online offering professional career coaching to leaders and public figures who have a message that they need to get out. And I want to say that that as I understand this story, and I may be wrong, I think the tribulations got him. Because, you know, enough of the core of the Christian faith should be there to know that there's, of course, mercy and forgiveness for getting it wrong. And Josh Harris had such a destructive experience and witnessed the hypocrisy in the church that was so toxic He thought it made more sense for him to to walk away than to stick with it. Um, The crushing weight of getting it wrong, the the flipsis of deep regrets, it was all too much for him. I, I still pray for him, by the way. I still pray for Josh Harris. I don't think God's done with him yet, but for now, he seems to be done with Jesus. And so to many of these these saints in Turkey, uh, they just aren't prepared for what's coming. They're not prepared for what's coming in Turkey. And to make it abundantly clear the stakes of what's on the table here, to put the, 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 the stakes into context, John goes on to explain um, 
what exactly you get if you stick with it. What do you get? Um, what is that? What the elder explains, he says, they shall neither hunger no more nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne that will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the promise, if you could summarize that in one sentence, would be the promise is um, tribulations are going to come to an end. Um, it's all going to come to an end one day. Um, there's a vision here for these seven churches in Turkey. John, John is saying to them, stick with it. This world is hard and mean and cruel, and there's a great pressing in on every side, but don't give up the Holy Ghost. Don't give up on Jesus. If you can stick it to the end, you will be one of the number when the saints go marching in. The great promise, friends, of the book of Revelation is that anyone, I mean, you, me, the churches in Turkey, you know, Danny Kay, Bruce Springsteen, Josh Harris, anyone who makes it through the tribulations of this life uh, with some trust that Jesus' death and resurrection is true and that he forgives sins and he's going to come back and fix the world. Um, if you got any of that, even a mustard seed amount of that, um, well, you get to be part of the number and the tribulations are going to end one day. There will be no more hunger or famine. There will be no more thirst or drought. There will be no more exhaustion or sunburn. You know, I was out there for about four hours working the food truck, shaking hands and, and getting numbers for the church and, and doing some of it. I got sunburned. It was only 60 degrees out, maybe a little windy. I got a sunburn, and um, I had to go to the grocery store on Friday. My head was just peeling, and I had to peel my head. It was really kind of gross, to be honest with you. But, but I didn't want people thinking I was like an ashen mummy walking into the grocery store with sunburn peel over my head. And um, it was miserable. I wouldn't survive a day in the Judean wilderness. Um, but, but there's no more scorching heat. Um, more than my whining, of course, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Meaning that there is some great consolation for the tribulations we experience here on earth. Without putting a too fine of a point on things, friends, I long to be in the number when the saints go marching in. I think you do too. Um, this song that has existed in our societal conscience, it expresses a deep longing that is a very Christian longing and one that we share. The pressure, the tribulations of this life, friends, are real. Our bodies break down, our hearts become exhausted. The Romans may not be out to get us, but like we discussed this morning in our 9 a.m. Bible study, there's a whole host of spiritual forces allied against God and his purposes, and they are very much out to cause as much tribulation as they can in our lives. So if you want to be in the number, I have three quick suggestions for you, and then we'll close. Three quick suggestions. Um, about keeping the faith and some practical things that may be helpful to you. Um, first, I encourage you, friends, uh, to say your prayers. Um, occasionally, um, John, in the book of Revelation, describes this great throne room scene of heaven, and I'll talk about the incense, right? Incense, in a world which baths were not common, um, incense uh, were a way of making things smell good when not many things smelled good. And in the throne room of heaven, there's incense and there are people burning things, but it's not really burning things because the, the, John says that the incense are the prayers of the saints. And so when we pray, our prayers enter into heaven as something that is visible, like the smoke of incense burning and smells sweet. You can both see and smell the prayers of heaven. 
And so when we pray, we're implicitly trusting God that whatever the tribulations in our life our, uh, life are, um, he's going to work through them, and he's going to be with us in the midst of them. And so I encourage you, friends, in those moments where you experience tribulation, um, but, you know, prayer is not just this transaction where we give God our prayers and God gives us what we want as, as if he's a divine vending machine. Um, prayers are about relationship. And when we bring our prayers, even the frustrated, angry prayers to God, why is this happening to me? What is going on? Uh, please just let this tribulation be over. Um, God hears them, and he promises to work them out in the best way possible for you. And so um, I, I say to you, pray when you have your own flipsis moment, your own tribulations. Um, I say to you, pray, and I say to you also, um, talk to somebody. Um, talk to somebody. Um, that's part of the reason why um, we have the church in our own time, uh, because God has not intended for us to go through these tribulations by ourselves. This is why this letter is going to all these different churches, not to individual people, but to entire congregations, because they're going to have to band together to help each other make it through the tough time to come. And so uh, I encourage you, it doesn't have to be me, it could be me, I'm an open door, always, come talk to me, but talk to someone about the tribulations you're going through. Um, when you're going through something that's so hard, it's rocking your faith to its core, um, talking with someone really genuinely helps. And they not, may just be able to take a bit of the burden off of you from an emotional standpoint, they may be actually physically there to help you as well. Um, so say your prayers, talk to somebody, and finally, the third thing I'd recommend to you is to uh, reflect very deeply on Jesus and his own tribulation. Because Jesus was not immune to them himself. The great tribulation for Jesus, of course, was his crucifixion. Um, talk about temptation to leave it all behind. Talk about, Father, you know, please take this cup away from me. Talk to me about you know, um, praying the psalm of being abandoned on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, that in the midst of Jesus, we have this vision of someone who went through a great tribulation, probably something harder and more painful and more cosmically relevant than anything you and I are going to go through. And Jesus himself kept the Holy Ghost through it. He kept his faith intact, his trust in God, and came out the other side. Um, and so we do not have, a, you know, no other religion has this. I, I, let me just clarify. This kind of great, deep um, model for what it looks like to trust God in, in, in great extremis, in the excruciating pain of life. No other religion has this, but Jesus models for us and says, hey, I know it's hard, but I've been through it too. And in the same way there's a resurrection in it for me, I've got a resurrection for you as well. And so like he told the thief on the cross, surely today you will be with me in paradise. He says the same to us. Surely one day we will be with him in paradise and the tribulations of this life will not be the defining moment of our existence. So I say to you, friends, today, whatever your tribulation is, it is not the last word. Hold on to that Holy Ghost. Trust Jesus. Remember the promise of the resurrection and the kingdom coming. Say your prayers, lean on each other, and one day you'll be part of that white-robed number when the saints go marching in. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday a theme, on Sunday a king, lay down in green, open the keys, fell on that day, firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ lay death in his grave.
Community Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.